0: This is Alex Greenfield, former head writer of WWE Smackdown, current writer of all manner of scary movies, and you are listening to the Atomic Podcast, where Ephraim blows up the news on a verbal scale.
1: Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is
0: your host of the show, Efren Guzman.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, writer, producer, and he is also on MLW Radio, the man, Alex Greenfield, a.k.a. Greenie. What's going on, Alex? Hey,
0: man. Thanks so much for having me on. We had such a blast talking about Luke. Uh, uh, We we need to do some more nerd talking,
1: man. Yeah, man. It's a pleasure to have you on, man. You're a jack of many traits, and you have so many different talents, and um, I got introduced to you um, with Nate talking on the um, um, Always Forward Luke Cage podcast, and you're know, you really, really hip to the marble lingo, and you're pretty much hip to everything, man. Um, I just want to know. I just want to take it back. I'm sure you talked about this plenty of times, but not on my show, but Um, How did you get involved in the entertainment field?
0: Uh, I mean, it's one of those things like all of my stories sort of converge. My parents got divorced when I was like, uh, oh, six years old. And I totally like totally withdrew in on myself and kind of fell into nerd culture all at one time. I fell into uh, sort of got into Star Wars really big. Um, got into Doctor Who was on, like, my local PBS station and got into that really big. And I was growing up in Atlanta at the time, and this is, like, uh, the early 1980s, and we had this great block of what was the end then, although everybody didn't know it, of the territory days of pro wrestling. So, like, my weekends were taken up with all these total nerd activities, and I knew I wanted to be a part of that from, like, the moment I saw... Luke staring into the twin sunsets I was like I want (laughs) to tell stories that way um and so I've sort of I'm one of those annoying people I've always known what I wanted to do in some way or another like I didn't know whether I wanted to be a director or an actor or, or, or a writer but I love storytelling and it just you know I uh I moved to LA after college and and uh worked in in artist management first sort of getting the lay of the land for the business but always knew i wanted to write and i set up a couple of scripts and then went and got to write pro wrestling for wwe and it's uh it's been it's been a super fun journey and like it's it's kicking ass right now like you can't go wrong right but i've always wanted to be part of the business
1: also your first step into writing was for wwe that was your your first major gig uh my first major gig yeah
0: i'd done a couple of little independent horror movies before that um and and i think it's those resume items that got me the gig with wwe but yeah like that was definitely my big break and uh 2005 i started there and it was like i've been a fan my whole life so it was like an amazing experience um all the way around super frustrating sometimes but uh uh, you know, I got to work with guys who I'd sort of idolized growing up. I got to work with Rick Blair and Dusty Rhodes, who I'd been watching since I was a little kid. It was pretty cool.
1: Well, that's amazing because, you know, you've been watching it since you was a little kid and, you know, writing was pretty much your passion. So it's like almost you're, you're writing and you're playing with adult human action figure toys. Like you're playing with real life toys, you know? <laughs>
0: Oh, totally. I mean, I was talking with Eddie Guerrero one time, uh, uh, who's just one of the most talented, uh, extraordinary people I ever had the good fortune to work with. Like that guy uh, gone much too soon. He sort of, he, uh, the wrestling expression is got me over, but I ended up becoming a head writer largely because this guy, Eddie Guerrero, gave me the tap on the shoulder and said, this is a good guy. But one time I was talking to him, I was working on a program with he and Rey Mysterio, uh, and they were battling back and forth over the paternity of Ray's kid, like, oh. totally wrestling story, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, Dominic, like, yep. It really is, it really is, like, um, I got the WWE wrestling ring when I was a little kid, and I used to have, like, the wrestling figure, sure, but they'd be battling, like, my He-Mans and my fucking G.I. <laughs> Joes and shit like that,
1: right? Yeah,
0: And, um... Um, that's what working at WWE is from a certain perspective. You get to play in that sandbox only in real life.
1: Yeah. Um, Was it a collaborative effort? It was you and other writers, correct? Or it was just basically you by yourself or...
0: No, 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 no. We had a writing team. So Vince McMahon is very much the creative be-all and Uh, end-all. In addition to being the character on screen, he runs the show creatively backstage. Uh, And then under him were were his daughter, Stephanie Levesque, and to a lesser degree, Triple H. But he, when I was there in 2005 to 2007, he he wasn't the voice creatively that he is today. Um, And then there were the individual writing teams, um, and there were four or five guys at that point on each major show, so on the Raw brand and on the SmackDown brand, and I worked on SmackDown mostly. Oh.
1: Is there any particular writers you're still close with today? Can you name me some of, um, some of them if you remember?
0: Oh yeah, 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 sure. Court uh, uh, Bauer, who yeah. runs MLW, where I do a couple of podcasts, uh, uh, is one of my best friends in the world. I still talk to Andrew Goldstein regularly. Uh, Chris, uh, who runs uh, BH One's morning show, yeah. uh, Chris Joseph who is obviously, he's one of the masterminds of the great independent wrestling show on um, on the El Rey Network, uh, Lucha Underground. Yeah. Uh, he's sort of the head creative over there, and he's a great guy. Chris right? Re- yeah, I mean, we're like a, almost a, this weird little misanthropic, Freaking fraternity of, uh, of ex WWE writers. We're an evil cabal on Twitter.
1: I call us. Oh, uh, um, describe to me like a writing session. Like you guys get like you you're huddled in together, or you're like in a room and you discuss what certain characters you want to write for. Or like, is it a collaborative effort with every wrestler? Yeah. You both have, you all have to agree with it. Uh, uh,
0: very. We sort of in in most ways we dictate down um um we take a lot of input from the wrestlers but ultimately we make those decisions except in certain um circumstances like what are commonly referred to as top guys guys like john cena and the undertaker and guys like that have a certain amount of creative control over what you do with them but for the most part uh it would work like when i was head writer we would get back from shooting television we used to shoot smackdown on tuesdays we'd get back to the office and on wednesday we'd just do a morning meeting talking about sort of basic ideas for next week's show like you know the undertaker and randy are in this long randy orton are in this long term program what is the next step to get to always working back from the n- next pay-per-view which were sort of our big events back in those days And, you know, we knew that Randy Orton was going to face The Undertaker and Randy was going to surprisingly win. And then we'd work on the story on a week by week basis. Then you go in on Fridays and you do a meeting with Vince McMahon where you pitch him the show that you've written with your team. Uh, And Vince says yes or no to ideas. And then there are a bunch of steps sort of between that and what actually gets shot for television. But that was more or less what the writing day was like. It was um, you sort of, you know, you your a story first which was usually your world heavyweight championship then whatever story the undertaker was involved in because he was sort of the next biggest star and then sort of a pecking order underneath of what the most important stories to tell were
1: Mm. also you was involved with pay-per-views as well besides raw and smackdown right basically like unforgiven no mercy survivor series all those um main pay-per-views back
0: when i was there we uh we had a pretty um well observed brand split so we had our own pay-per-views like No Mercy was a Smackdown pay-per-view
1: oh, okay. and
0: then um, and, and you know there were several of those throughout the year and Raw had their own pay-per-views too now as a writer I did work on the Raw pay-per-views but I wasn't sort of involved in the weekly storylines it was more like if you think about like reality television it was more like a segment producer like I, I worked a lot on there's a, a fairly famous program um, that we always call Single White Female with Mickey J James and Trish Stratus, and this sort of long running storyline between them. Yeah. And I was the day in, day out producer on that. So I didn't sort of write the long term story. What I would do is I would take what Brian Gilwurts and his team had written. He was the head writer of Raw at the time. And then I would get together with Mickey and Trish. We would sort of hone what that was going to be on the day for each episode of Raw. And so on one show, I was a segment producer, and on the other, I was more responsible for the long-term stories, I guess.
1: Oh, man, because, you know, there's, there's like, a, a lot going on with that, because, you know, when, as a fan watching it, you don't really pretty much know what goes on behind the scenes, but, you know, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of storytelling, and you pretty much have to have um, point A to point B to get to, like, the pay-per-view, basically, right, every couple of months. Yeah,
0: and with Mickey and with uh, Mickey and Trish, like this is a story that began. I think we started it in maybe September or October of two thousand five, and it ended in you know at WrestleMania and, and really the pay per view after that in. You know, mid 2006. So you're talking 10 months of story building to this big, uh, what's called a blow up, building to the big match that, that draws the money and makes people want to watch on pay per view and that sort of thing. Um, so we, like, it was a, a lot akin to. Um, to writing, if you can imagine like an episodic drama like Luke Cage, yeah. um, if each sort of segment of the show, like all the stuff in Pops, was written by one team of writers and everything else was written, you know, at, at, at the club or whatever, was written by someone else, wow. I was the guy writing just for that one segment every week for months and months that we spun this story out this sort of psychological thriller about this crazy woman obsessed an obsessed man uh, uh stealing trish stratus's life so we were like we were writing a movie only in you know
1: 35 acts wow oh yeah and you know what i say like you know when you put it like that you put it in perspective so that's really interesting man and um you lasted on wwe to 2007 correct yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I, I uh, left in November 2005, but I sort of, um, still sort of consulted and, and, and talked about stories up until January of that year. Oh, is there, uh, was there a
1: particular reason why you left, or did you, like, get fired, or you left on your own? No, 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 no,
0: I, uh, I, I am proud to say I am one of the handful of writers who quit instead of get fired.
1: <laughs>
0: God damn, it. Uh, Vince and I had very, very, like, creative differences is such a, uh, is such a, frickin' um, catch-all term. But Vince and I had really, really different approaches, and we got in a lot of uh, we were both very much type-A personalities and sort of legendarily got into these screaming matches. I thought he was gonna knock my block off a few times. And I was would've welcomed it sometimes. God, man, we we went at it. It was uh, It was not a super fun working environment, and I booked a movie um, around the same time, and I was like, I, you know, that's the storytelling I prefer, and it's time to move on. So I moved from there to, to doing a bunch of TV movies and things like that for, for a few years. But I really, like, I got a ton out of my time at WWE, but it was time to move on when it
1: was time to move on. Uh, um, how would you describe yourself in terms of your attitude and personality? I know you say you have a Type A personality, but how's your attitude like?
0: Oh, uh, I mean, it was it was worse back. It was worse a decade ago than it is now. <laughs> I've, grown, I've grown a little bit more humility uh, uh, in the subsequent years. I like to think, anyway. Um, I mean, at that point, I very much um, I, like I wanted to write. I was. I was a guy who came up on on Buffy and Angel and Lost and that kind of serialized storytelling. And that was very much the approach I wanted to take with SmackDown. We skewed a little bit younger. Um, We skewed to a more diverse audience. I mean, we were pushing guys like Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero and Booker T and and Mark Henry. Like, we had uh, a browner and blacker audience um, who I... The ratings bear out, we're more interested in long-term storytelling, and ultimately, my disagreement with Vince, and I don't know, as pertains to attitude, is I was pretty sure I was right, and the guy who ran the company was 100% sure he was right, Um, and nary the two shall meet, but I wanted to do a more serialized... uh, rather than episodic, just match of the week show, and Vince at that point really wanted to go in the other direction, so we had a lot of fights, and um, I had plenty of ego, and I thought I was right, and where things have ended up, I feel borne out on that, so yeah,
1: I have some ego. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If if you didn't um, get involved in wrestling in 2005, um, you think, like, I know you can't go back in the past, but what would you have got involved in if you wasn't involved in the WWE? Oh, I probably would have uh continued doing what what
0: I was doing at the time, which is is uh doing motion pictures and TV. Um I sort of took a two two year break with WWE, but I came back and sort of picked up that career, screenwriting, um where I left off and and that's been exceptionally rewarding. Like I really I love writing movies. I love uh the process of creating this you know sort of alternate us in this alternate world and it's um it's super fun and I've done I've done a bunch of stuff so if I hadn't gone to WWE uh I don't think my career Right now would be that different from what it is. Although I still to this day, you know, I just produced a series of vignettes for Combate Americas for this Latin themed um, mixed martial arts organization. Um, and all of the, the production work I've done in sports since, which is, you know, I've done a ton of stuff for CNN and and Showtime. I did a bunch of stuff for Strike Force. I wouldn't have gotten into combat sports at all if it hadn't have been for working in wrestling. So, I mean, it's been a huge boon for my career, if nothing else. I mean Jesus Christ, that we wouldn't be talking on a podcast if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, I got to write cool shit in professional wrestling. It was kind of the best uh coffee table or uh what is it, cocktail conversation piece in the
1: world. Yeah, it's kind of funny you said that because, you know, you got into wrestling, right? And then, you know, you're part of MLW Radio, which is a podcast basically talking about wrestling. So, you know, you're still kind of in the in, you know, in the know with the whole wrestling organization as well um how is it talking about wrestling you know every week and you know i I guess it's still a passion in your heart because you really haven't gave it up um do you love talking about it um do you love you know being involved in in roundtable discussions
0: oh yeah man like I've I'm, been a wrestling fan like I said you know I was a really little kid when I discovered it and I've always been a fan I sort of I have periods where I wax and wane you know what I mean like, yeah. like there are it's funny the period right before I started working in wrestling is I hadn't really watched much in a couple of years and I've had periods like that like after, after Chris Benoit after the tragedy with Chris Benoit and the, the murder-suicide I don't think I watched for a year like I just sort of soured on the whole on wrestling as a whole uh, and it slowly brought me back and I've had big periods like the big CM Punk run I was yeah. a week in week out viewer and I go back and forth but some of my best friends are from that business The pod, one of the podcasts I do is with a guy named MVP uh, Hassan Asad's his real name uh who is a wrestler who uh we started out working together at wwe i was there when he came up and he's one of my best friends in the world um and and i have a lot of friends from that business like it is it is this amazing blend between uh the world of 19th century carnivals and modern big entertainment business it's just it's fascinating and i love that world and i love the the people who work in it and you know i um Sometimes I'll say to myself, well, you know, I just booked this, you know, a couple of months ago, my first big studio movie and my writing partner and I are working on it. And I'm like, if I hadn't taken two years away in wrestling, would this have happened two years sooner? And at the end of the day, um, there's no way of telling. And I wouldn't trade the experience of working at WWE for anything. I still love wrestling as a whole, not just WWE, but around the world. Yeah,
1: you know, recently I just had a conversation with Robert Meyer, Robert Meyer Burnett, and he was talking about free enterprise and how he was with Brian Singer, and Brian Singer was focused on one thing, and he was focused on five different things, and he said if he would have just kept focusing on one thing, he probably would have been in a different direction today. You think if you would have focused on one thing, you think your direction would have been
0: totally different as well? Uh, that's—I mean—that's such a one of those road not taken questions, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, true. It's tough to say. Uh, like, like I said, I know that I've wanted to work in this business since I was a really little kid. Yeah, it's hard to imagine a path. And look, like there are a million different kinds of privilege that that. into that right like uh, I haven't had to struggle as much as a lot of people and a lot of my friends have but it's hard to imagine a path that I didn't end up sort of near where I am in one way or another um Um, that said I pretty much enjoyed the path I've taken like dude there are lean years like I swear to god second half of 2009 through the first half of 2010 like I dug into my retirement savings I couldn't get a job doing anything like it was wow. awful but on the whole i've gotten to you know write a bunch of movies and write for wrestling and and uh make a bunch of cool friends and you know i i live in a house in vermont and get to smoke a lot of weed and go to la and new york
1: for six months. <laughs> um speaking of weed what's your favorite type of weed Oh,
0: well, I'm still, I'm uh, I'm 43 years old and therefore still have more flowers than any of the vaping, Uh, like the fancy um, uh, stuff that you you kids do these days. But I really, really, really like, I have a friend, uh, weirdly, it's much harder in Vermont to get weed than it is around here, but I have a friend with a medical card and I have been smoking this uh, strain called Girl Scout Cookies, which is, and it's the, best stuff in the world although seriously if you don't want to gain weight do not have a freaking cookie anywhere near your house or you will just devour it <laughs> um
1: also um smoking weed do you feel you write better when you smoke or you write better when you don't smoke or it doesn't really make a difference uh,
0: for me uh Smoking weed is really good for generating ideas. Like a lot of times, that's where I'm sort of handwriting ideas as they come to me. Um, when I'm sitting and actually writing a script, like I might do a bong hit in the morning or something. But I usually don't smoke um, when I'm trying to when I'm trying to hang it, hang things together as drama. My my thoughts are just a little too scattered when I'm
1: high. Ah, okay. And also, um. For writing, for wrestling, um, is there any particular genre you prefer to write for, like horror, comedy, action? Is there a particular genre? Oh, oh, horror, for sure. Horror? Uh, uh, my, fav- my favorite genre to watch and my favorite genre to work in. I mean, it's like, I'm going to paraphrase the quote bad- badly because, uh, yes, don't.
0: Uh, but <laughs> Stephen King said something like, the oldest and most primal emotion is fear. And mm-hmm. just, um... Oh, oh, the joy of sitting in an audience uh, and hearing someone gasp at a scare you've done, like, it is the most immediate, uh, beautiful, um, instant gratification that you could ever have. Um, working in that motion to making people... Feel claustrophobic, just feeling
1: things intensely. Like that's what the joy of writing good drama is to me. Yeah, you know my, my wife always tells me, um, there's something wrong with you if you like watching horror movies because I remember we went to go see The Hills Have Eyes and she pretty much walked out of the movie because of the whole like rape scene inside the camper and you know it was just it was <laughs> it was just too much for her. She was just like, why the hell do you like this stuff? Like you know what what is wrong with you? Um, you know I I you know I'm, I'm a person that likes horror movie. I love the shiny. I love The Exorcist. Um, what does horror, writing horror, speak to you? Like, what, what, like, writing horror, what influences, what influences you to write horror, basically? I,
0: I feel like, like, one of the first, I mean, this is something, you know, terrible, Lord knows, but one of the first books I ever read, like, books without pictures when I was a little kid, uh-huh. I was just, like, randomly at home. I, like, had the flu or something, because I remember I was home for, like, four or five days from sick from school, right? hmm uh-huh. And, um, I only read, like, I read, like, maybe the C.S. Lewis books or something like that, but, like, hadn't read a lot of books without pictures, and I remember I saw this book my dad had been reading... And it was just like sitting on the shelf and it had this cool ass car on the cover and it was called Christine. Ah. And I didn't know anything about it, Yeah, but I sat down and I think I read that book. It was like one of those things with the flashlight under the covers after bedtime, you know, I couldn't get enough of it. And, um, I think horror became my favorite genre right then, like all through school. Like I love Stephen King. I love old school stuff like HP Lovecraft and August Derleth. Um, Movies like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and the original Halloween and Hellraiser and things like that, that's my bread and butter, man. Like, that's what I grew up on. And um, I love writing stuff like that. Like, it's it's super fun to engage, you know. Our base emotion is fight or flight, right? Like, when confronted with threats, every, every thought breaks down to fight or flight. And what channels that sort of baseline emotion better than fear? And that's what writing horror does. You get to play with like, you know, those deep lizard brain fears of ours.
1: Yeah, um, horror comes in many different forms, from from monsters to uh, vapor to you know, rape and whatnot. Um, what what kind of writing do you do with horror? Like, what is like? Is it more of monsters? Is it more like incestuous type situations? <laughs> I think it's
0: it's harder as a as a whole. Like I've done, yeah. like uh, the last movie that we had um, that came out uh, last year, this uh, movie called The Sand was. You, did you ever play that game? The floor is lava. Like you have to get around the room uh, without touching the floor. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like that, the beach. It's a beach that eats you if you step on the sand. And there's pers- people stuck in these very lo- various. Like, there's one couple stuck in a car, and there's another... Like, one guy's been stuffed in a trash can, and it's all about, like, moving around the beach. It's it's basically a monster movie without without the monster, because the monster is the ground itself, right? Yeah. So I did that. Like, the big studio movie we're doing is kind of in the mode of it's almost the reverse exorcist but it's a, it's a demon possession movie like I can float around monsters, uh, I've done a home invasion thriller um, as long as I'm engaging those kinds of emotions I'm cool but I mean fuck man I've written romantic comedies that have been produced like yeah. I, I enjoy
1: telling stories in a visual way and that's sort of the core of what screenwriting is Yeah. Um, What is so special about screenwriting to you? Is there a connection that you have with it?
0: Uh, I mean, it really does. It does go back to Luke looking into the twin sunsets for me. I I sort of discovered, um, you know, genre movies and, and
1: comic books around the same time. And they're sort of my two favorite forms of telling stories. Yeah, Star Wars was pretty much your first love basically, right? When you first got introduced oh, yeah. to the film. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, um let me just talk a little bit of Star Wars because I'm a Star Wars fan myself. Um what what do you think about the spin-off movies like Rogue One, the Han Solo story? Like what's your do you think it's a good thing that they're going back and trying to fill in fillers in the the whole trilogy or do you think it's a um, um is a mistake in doing that going back? See, I freaking love
0: it Like, I know it's sort of You know, they're they're fans of different mindsets And I totally get where the purists are coming from But swear, by hand to God Like, I remember being 17, 18 years old uh, When the Timothy Zahn trilogy came out yeah. And um, loving the way it expanded the universe Beyond the confines of the movies And I've been that way ever since Like, Star Wars Rebels is really, really good
1: Yes, it
0: um, is um, I... Really like the hell out of it. I'm stoked for Rogue One. Like it looks, I, I, all of the trailers I've seen look fantastic. Um, the Darth Vader comic that Marvel just finished a, to just a 25 issue run um, was fan freaking tastic. Um, I'm I'm really enjoying what Disney's done so far. And, look, acknowledging all of the weaknesses of it, um, I really like Force Awakens. Like, I've seen it three times and, and enjoy it more every
1: time. Yeah, you, you, the thing is, I I like... You know, it's kind of cool because you can go back to the um, Timothy Zahn novels and you can read that and, you know, knowing that it's not canon, that they're cherry-picking certain characters and certain stories to make canon, like Grand Emerald Thrawn, you know, who's on Rebels now. Um, everything is pretty much connected. Like, you know, there's so much you know how everything is like a, a whole established universe with star wars you have the books you have the, the children's novels the comics you have star wars rebels you know you have the movies you know it's a whole it's like if you're just a casual fan you have no idea that you know there's a continuation in the comic book form. there's a continuation on cgi star wars rebels or clone wars as part of that same universe um do you think it's kind of confusing for let's say the average star wars fan who's not an uber fan to know that there's a lot more stuff going on not?
0: Uh, I you know, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. So, uh, uh, MVP and I had Freddie Prince on the show uh, like a couple months back, and. You know, not, not just plugging myself here, um, but uh, I didn't really even know about Star Wars Rebels. Like, I they, I had the vague knowledge that there was another cartoon that followed Star Wars and I hadn't watched it yet. Yeah. And I was talking to Freddie that got me watching the show, and it's one of my most satisfying Star Wars experiences uh, in years. Like, it's more Star Wars than Star Wars. Like, the writers really get the feel of a Star Wars show. Um, so no, like like I feel like people who are only dipping their toes, like like the people who are only going to watch the movies and not invest anymore, I feel like they're missing out on some cool extra stuff, but I don't feel like it's ever gonna be necessary that you've watched that uh, you've been watching Star Wars Rebels for, for something that resonates for that viewer in the movie, I don't think that will ever alienate people, you know what I mean? In the way that, um freaking, oh god, General Grievous, like, if you didn't watch Clone Wars, you're like, why on earth is this guy a big menace? Yep.
1: Yep, that is so true, that is so true, because I'm saying there's there's a lot going on in, like, comic book form and um, novel forms, because, you know, Rogue One, a lot of people are talking about the novel catalyst that, you know, you pretty much need to read that book and go into seeing Rogue One, knowing the whole Urso family and knowing um, how her father Galen and um um director krennic were pretty much like they were, he was like a, a friend almost and you know i, I don't want to give any spoilers on if people didn't read the book but there's so much nuggets in that book that Pretty much connects to the film Rogue One. Um, you know, pretty much everything is. It, you know, there's there's a lot of connections with everything. Even um, if you don't know, if you didn't read the Timothy Zahn novels, and your first introduction to Grand Admiral Thrawn is on Rebels. It's pretty much the same person. If you know, you know, you seen you seen Star Wars Rebels. Were was you satisfied with the portrayal of Grand Admiral Thrawn? Yeah, yeah, I
0: loved it, and and I was watching with my wife. Hasn't seen who, who never read the uh, Thron books, uh, um, so she this was her first introduction. Uh-huh. So we kind of got both in the same living room, and I I think the only different like she loves him as a villain for the same reasons we who've read the Thron books do. Uh-huh. But um, it's I think the experience is just a little richer for us because like like the first time we're in his art gallery. I think you pop a little more when you've read the book, so you yeah. know, like, oh, this is a huge moment. This yeah. is how he gets. <laughs> yep. But uh, but even for a first-time
1: viewer, like Benny, totally loves it. Yeah. Um, any particularly um, besides uh, Star Wars Rebels? Are you a fan of? Oh, of course, you're a fan of the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, what's your thoughts on DC? You think they're doing a good job with their film division?
0: See, I always feel like people are going to cast me in the, oh, this guy is just a Marvel guy um, lot, because um, I'm really not. Like, I grew up, I was a Batman guy. Uh, I was sort of Batman and X-Men were sort of my main comics universes growing up. Um, so I feel like I'm on the fence. I really, I feel like, I, I, I do like the trailers for Wonder Woman a lot, um, so hope to be proven wrong. But man, I I gotta say, I have not liked the rebooted Zack Snyder verse um, at all. I, it just uh, it hasn't done it for me, and I just I feel like they're I feel like they took all of the wrong lessons from Chris mm-hmm. Nolan and all of the wrong lessons from the Frank Miller uh, uh, reboots of Batman back in the back in the eighties. Mm -hmm. and I just, I'm not connected with the characters in the same way that I do in the Marvel Universe. Though, I gotta say, um, if I see that same freaking origin story one more time, it's gonna get me to pull out my last remaining hairs. What did you think of Doctor Strange? Because I was, there's a lot of beautiful visuals, but I was so completely let down, and I'm really tired of seeing the same Marvel
1: origin story again and again and again. Yeah. I'm I, I I enjoyed Doctor Strange, but, you know, the whole Marvel formula is, you know, I'm brooding, I'm upset, I get hurt, I, 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 you know, I redeem myself, and I'm a hero, basically. You know, they follow Ant-Man, Iron Man, they all follow the same story pattern structure. So they were pretty much playing it safe with Doctor Strange, but I thought for what it was, I thought it was a very good movie. I love Benedict Cumberbatch, I thought he... He is the emphasis of Stephen Strange, you know, and and if you know if you remember the old Doctor Strange, they had like a TV movie, I believe. It was that's so way off, way off. That was re- uh, it was it was almost so bad it's good. <laughs> yeah, it was very trippy, psychedelic. That was like if you are like high on acid or something, that's a movie you want to watch. But um, <laughs> going back to Benedict Cumberbatch, I thought he was great. I thought the movie was yeah. good. I thought the whole visual aspect of it was something I've never seen before. Even comparing it to. Um, what's the leo dicaprio movie uh yeah inception it was kind of trip mind trippy like that and you know there's so much like you know i left i left the movies wanting more strange especially with that after credit scene i wanted more strange so it's it you know i just felt like you know the whole beyonce joke and you know the little little jokes were just kind of off but the movie itself i thought was great
0: i there are things i loved it. Like, I thought the fight while while time was going backwards was just one of the most beautiful yeah. action sequences in forever. And I thought a lot of, like, the MC Escher reality bending stuff, like, I kept thinking, this is all really cool oh, I don't much care about these characters. And, like, maybe it's that maybe it's being too much in the business and being a screenwriter, but, like, I kept feeling like, well, think about it. What is Stephen Strange's art? He starts out, he's an arrogant guy who thinks he can do no wrong and, yep. he,
1: and, and
0: thinks he's right about everything. Yeah. And at the end, He's an arrogant guy who is right about everything in the very end. Uh, Like, there was no... It just felt like it was a paint-by-numbers story with a bunch of cool shit in it. And I feel like Marvel's starting to fall into the trap. Like, I'm really psyched that it's James Gunn, who's a really distinctive director, uh, and the Guardians team, largely unscathed doing the next movie because I think Guardians two is gonna be freaking fantastic. I know it is. I'm I,
1: I, I have a friend in the cast and it's going to be awesome. Oh, I can't wait man. I can't wait to see that. And I know that's gonna be so good, especially now. What I'm kinda of concerned about, but um, I'm, I, I have faith in Marvel. Kevin Feige has not let me down, but the whole Inhumans thing is going back from the movies. I think it's gonna play two episodes in the movie theater in IMAX, and then it's gonna come to a television series. But you know, you know, they're not gonna get Vin Diesel for Black Bolt. They can't afford him. Um, what do you yeah? What do you think? The Inhumans is pretty much like what are they gonna do? Like I, I just don't get that concept like you know i'm trying to understand it but i don't you're in the business so like do you have an idea why they're doing it like that that way oh man yeah
0: like this is one. this is one where i'm going to lose a little bit of my marvel nerd cred so i kind of tapped out on agents and shield of agents of shield like
1: right when their whole Inhumans thing started started Mm -hmm. right yeah and
0: haven't watched much of it and knew that this development was happening, but I have no real theory on it. The idea of starting it as a movie and spinning to TV just feels like a silly publicity stunt to me. But again, when it comes to building hype, nobody's better than Marvel, so if anybody can make it, I work as an abstract idea I think they could do it for some reason the ABC shows I I was talking to Nate about this before you before you jumped on the other day which will be in the future so use the TARDIS Um, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) right Um, but I was talking to him the other day about it's just the ABC shows never connected to me Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that the Netflix shows completely do
1: yeah I think the reason why the Netflix shows connects in a in a you know in a way that the ABC shows does it because ABC is it's just too cookie-cutter and you know it's the time slot and the time frame what they're in the show to show. Netflix, you know, it's almost like watching orange is a new black it's almost like watching um house of cards you know there's no pretty much no restrictions you know and for a comic show if you watch jessica jones and you see the pretty much the first episode you pretty much, you pretty much know you're not watching the abc marvel show this is a netflix gritty show so there's so much more freedom and f- more liberties they can do on netflix especially with um hardcore characters you know, Jessica Jones is a hardcore character, so is Luke Cage and um, Frank Castle. There was no way, I know, like, if you really think about it now, there's no way they can do Frank, Ju- Frank Castle justice in a Marvel film with his storyline. You know, you got a little hint of it, of his storyline in Daredevil, but think about what you've seen Frank Castle do in Daredevil. There's no way, I don't care what you say, there's no way they could translate that into film with the violence that they had in that, on that show what do you
0: think oh absolutely I, I mean and that I think it's part of the failing of the two attempts at Punisher movies separate and apart uh, yeah. from the universe like that episode four of Daredevil uh, of, of second season of Daredevil the one with with Frank on the rooftop like it was one of the most heartbreaking beautiful ripped from the comic scenes uh, I, I just I, I am so looking forward to the Joe Bernthal Punisher series and and Netflix, I'm almost fine with, yeah, the Avengers building can be in the background of one shot, I don't want to hear about them, let the Netflix universe be its own universe to a large extent like that just seems awesome
1: to me yeah, I know, but the thing is, like, even you know how, I think we talked about it before on the Always Forward podcast, where we were just saying that for the, you know on ABC, they always have to reference, "Oh, this is Tony Stark's building," or you know, they just put the little button in there, yeah, and then yeah. you know, you hear that the Sokovia Accords, you know. But in in right.
0: in like they like they force it in
1: at yeah. least just
0: to remind you we're part of the same thing, guys. Yeah.
1: We're, we're part of the team. I know. I know but in like Luke Cage or even the other shows you know they talk about all oh, these weapons are hammer tech but it's not it's like you know you you catch it as a fan oh, Hammer Tech all right on Justin Hammer but it's real subtle and you know people selling DVDs of the arrival you know we, we you know we got that, that was the best
0: touch to say yeah. like, our world is separate from these guys yeah like, this is- you know what I it, it's it's it, it was good, and the whole use of the cameras, like like the, like again, we were talking. It was it uh, it was partly that great hat tip to the classic exploitation finishes, like in uh, in Superfly, but partly like those little bits, like with the kids recording it and all of that. Like it is saying that we're part of this separate world from you know the Avengers. Fuck those guys, they're uptown, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to talk because I um, I know I have a few more minutes left with you, but I just want to talk a little bit about because you mentioned you're a Doctor Who fan. Um, what is your um take on Peter Capaldi as a doctor? I am totally in love with this guy. I, I think he is so awesome. But you know, there's a lot of Absolutely, right. Yeah. Um, I'm with you.
0: He's such a refreshing change. Um, um, and i i full full disclosure. I've liked all of the new Who doctors so far. Yeah. Uh, in in sort of very different ways i think um smith is is a wonderful actor but he was not my favorite and capaldi i think is going to be like once once it settles a little bit more um because i it's funny i the the seasons haven't been as standout as some with with huge episodes like like midnight like some of the best of the tenant ones but on the whole it's been more consistent than anything in the matt smith one i am i'm stoked i'm you know as we watch this i just saw the first trailer for the christmas special and i can't wait
1: yeah um did you i don't know if you read any reports of there um on pearl mackie who's gonna play the character um i think she's playing i forgot the character's name but um they, I that
0: one little trailer they sh- they put out yeah. shortly after was announced with with she and Capaldi, and I'm yes. like, I
1: don't know. Yeah, that supposedly she signed a one year deal, and they're gonna get rid of Capaldi, um, Capaldi next year, and then they want to go back to a younger doctor. I don't know. You know, these are just stuff that I see on the internet. I don't know if it's true, but um, how long would you like to see um the twelfth Doctor last on this season? You want to see him for like two more seasons? What do you think? I'd, I'd uh, like to see him. Like
0: to see him for two more. I'd like I'd like two more. Um. Um. I'd like. I'd like to see somebody stick with it for a while, and um. And really make the role their own, so that the next regeneration. It, and it, and, it, and I am one of those who thinks. And I don't just mean this in a in a PC way, but I think the show needs a change up at this point. And I think the combination of a new showrunner and a new doctor, who yes, is uh, someone of African descent or a woman or something, to change it up. Yeah. Um. I think that's the next step in the evolution of the show. Yeah. That's right. Sort of hot take. I know people are really split on that. I don't just think it's a it's a sop to PC culture. I think it's a necessary change in the show, and it's been established that that can happen with Missy.
1: Yep, I know. Yes, I'm waiting for the doctor be- to become Ginger and a female. That's what I'm waiting for as well. You know, <laughs> Ginger,
0: i have uh, uh, still got my Amy <laughs> Bond be the best.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, and oh, and another. You know, these guys are going to Marvel. Another member of the um, Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy, and I thought, yeah, you know, that... you know, I just, I just felt you know, bad that her show got canceled in ABC. Oh uh, yeah, what was that? Was she? It was the one after selfie, right? Yeah, you know, but no, it was selfie. I think that's what it was. It was with John Cho, right, from um, okay. Star Trek. That's right. That's right. You know, like I, 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 just think she has so much potential to headline the show. Uh,
0: you just give her time. I think you just give her time. Oh, I freaking I loved Oculus. I thought that was one of my favorite horror movies that year, whatever it was. I think uh, fourteen <laughs> or fifteen. I can't remember, yeah. but um, it was it was really good. Like she is a really really talented actress she's got a long future and uh, I was talking to I was talking to uh, uh, Dave Batista is, is the buddy of mine who's in Guardians and uh, after he was cast in the first one I was like holy shit you're working with Amy Pond that's awesome <laughs> he, but,
1: but, what did Dave say he was like who Amy who like did he knew Doctor yeah, Who he, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't know who at all in that <laughs> point, but he <laughs> since discovered it so uh, so I like to think I brought one more Who in online I know I, I tell like a lot of American fans and people who are like oh that's too you have to watch Doctor Who like you know I always tell people start with um number nine. You know, you can start you know you can even start in the beginning but if you start off with pretty much um Christopher Elkeston, the ninth doctor, you've been smooth sailing from there because you know you pretty much get the grittiness, you get all the backstory and, you know, it's, a you know, people who are, oh, I don't want to watch old shows. It's not that old of a show. You know, it was what, 2000 and, was it five? Did it come out in 2000? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it started in
0: 2005.
1: Yeah, so that's a. 2005 or
0: 2006, it started while I was at WWE. I was so stoked for it and nobody knew what the fuck I was talking about.
1: <laughs> you see, that's our geek culture. Like a lot of people are not geek
0: despians like we are. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Although, uh, uh, William Regal, Stephen Regal, uh, uh, did know Dr. Who and I talked to him about it and we always talked about, did you ever watch the spy show? MI five?
1: Am I? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. That was, that was like, isn't that part of like the James Bond, like, it like, it's think, sort of, I mean, it yeah. has that feel to it. It's sort of a gritty yes.
0: spy show set in the modern world uh, yeah. uh, that I think is still on. Like, I sort of dropped out of it. But William Regal turned me on to that after I started talking to him about Doctor Who and Monty Python. Yeah.
1: One thing I couldn't get into was Law & Order UK. I couldn't get into that, <laughs> even though I tried. But I couldn't. I, don't really I, I Yeah, I, uh, no. No, <laughs> I, I wanted to because I'm a big Martha fan, but no. A uh, couple of more questions for you, um, Green, because I know you got to go. Um, what is your your personal motto?
0: Oh God, uh, uh, one stolen from uh, from Neil Gaiman, who uh, wrote The Sandman and many other things. Uh, things need not have happened to be true. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um. Any regrets? Um. I wish I'd have stayed at WWE for another year.
1: Hmm. All right. Um.
0: And um. Any
1: rated R, NC seventeen stories. You can say that you haven't said anywhere else to me exclusively. <laughs>
0: Absolutely not. I wrote a uh, I wrote a TV pilot about open marriage, so my life is more or less
1: an open book. <laughs> Well, any any funny writing stories in Smackdown with the wrestlers, any like kind of hanging out stories, clubbing stories, any.
0: God uh, see the thing is I come from, come from the generation after the generation of total craziness in the backstage world of wrestling and um, and the other thing is the the best stories I have are guys who are currently active so I can't name names but I smoked a whole lot of weed with a whole lot of wrestlers and, uh, uh, so uh, you you can imagine that there are certain there's certain promos that people will talk about saying oh this dude really really rambled for a long time i can tell you that i have personally witnessed the reason for that type of rambling
1: oh so you just broke all uh, you burst you pretty much bursted a bubble wrestlers smoke weed <laughs> <laughs> i know i know it's a shock right <laughs> um also and um my final question for you um greenie what would the alex today tell
0: the alex of yesterday oh my god uh don't drop out of high school and play in rock and roll bands for four years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you have a do you have an album or? Oh God, well,
0: I, I I actually discovered my wife and I moved recently and I actually discovered I had the cassette tape that we had that was not like a four-track or anything. It was like a boombox set in the middle of our rehearsal room one time. So I'm going to dupe that to uh, to CD and or, or dupe it to digital. And listen to me, I'm so old, I'm like thinking about duping to a CD. Um, <laughs> dupe it to uh, original and see what I sounded like when I was like 17 and angry about breaking up with my girlfriend. Or whatever the fuck.
1: (laughs) Um, Alex, um plug your social media, plug anything you have coming up.
0: Oh, right on, man. Um uh I'm at Alex D. Greenfield on Twitter if you've managed to get through this fun filled (laughs) episode. And uh, uh you can uh listen to my podcast. I'm uh on uh the VIP lounge with professional wrestler MVP on uh and you can find out all about it at MLW Radio. We drop on Sunday nights and we have a bunch of cool guests. We had uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and Dave Batista and uh, we've got Ralphie May coming up, the comedian. Um, um, so it's a fun show, and you should listen, because our thoughts are as important as anybody else's.
1: You might know. I wouldn't be remiss if I didn't ask, have you heard from Alice Radley, or she's just disappeared off the face of the earth? She has completely disappeared off the face of the earth. Wow. That's that's so insane wow wow it's like, it like she existed and you know she got deleted basically Yep. Yeah. yeah no shit like final deletion right yeah I mean, to the degree that it's creepy i hope you're all right out there yeah Alex, where you at i hope you're living <laughs> thank you Alex. thank you so much for coming on man i hope we can do this again sometime right on man thank you and i hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices have a good one folks